0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, hope in the midst of suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing.
1: Friends, today I'd love you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 or turn your Bibles on. If you aren't in the regular practice of bringing a Bible to church, if it's your first time here, that's completely fine. Thank you so much for joining us. We have this saying where no matter who you are, where you're from or what you believe, you are welcome here at New Life. But if you call New Life home, can I ask a favour? Great, it's going to be really difficult. I heard everyone online. People online were louder than people in the room. Can I ask a favour? Fantastic. Can we bring the Word of God to church? And like, whether it's physical or digital, you can actually download the Bible on your phone right now. Follow along with me. I always say it keeps me accountable so you know what we're talking about is in the Bible. Really important. I'd love you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It'll be on the screen. Now, as we get there, I need to be really clear. This is going to be a bit of a long text. Everyone say long. But good. So, as you're with me, keep 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 uh, your attention on the text. It's important. But today we're going to unpack a lot of things that God wants to share with us, and um, and hopefully God will be able to transform, No, not hopefully. God will, by the power of His word, be able to transform and uh, and make us more into the likeness of Christ. So, one Peter chapter two verse thirteen reads this: Submit. Everyone say submit. submit. It's an important theme of today. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of the foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God submit yourself to your masters not only as though to those who are good and considerate but also to those who are harsh for it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it this is commendable to God To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His footsteps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you have been healed. Amen. Amen. "'For you were like sheep going astray, "'but now you have returned to the shepherd "'and overseer of your souls. "'Wives, in the same way, "'submit yourselves to your own husbands, "'so that if any of them do not believe in the Word, "'they may be won over without words "'by the behaviour of their wives. "'When they see the purity of your reverence of your lives, "'your beauty should not come from outward adornments "'such as elaborate hairstyles "'and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes.' Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. Like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gifts of God so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, Some of you are muttering thanks be to God today. That's a heavy text. Heavy text. And uh, I don't think we need to unpack it any further. Let's just pray and let's get out of (laughs) here. Friends, as a church that celebrates leadership, both male and female, there's a lot in here to unpack. Um, So we're going to need some help. If you are joining us for the first time today, um, I'm so thankful you had the courage. Um, I'm a little bit, you know, cautious that you had the courage to join today. But here's what I believe. God's Word is for the blessing of all people, that when we live under His reign, His authority and His rule, all things are blessed. And so let's trust Jesus today to lead us faithfully through this. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord, I, I'm reminded this morning of the, the story of the, of the boy with the, the fish and the loaves. He brought what he could and You did the miracle. So Lord, we bring ourselves before You right now. I bring the teaching before You right now and, and ask God, would You multiply it in a way only You can? May it feed us in a way only You can feed us. May it transform us in a way only You can transform us. For Your glory and the good of the world. Less of me and more of You. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Friends, it's great to have you in the room. For those of you who have not met, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm excited uh, because today we get to continue part two of what I began last week. For those of you who weren't with us last week, we started talking about what does it mean to live a good life? 1 Peter 2 verse 12 actually says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That word good is actually translated another way. It says, live beautiful lives. Everyone say beautiful. Hands up if you're sitting next to someone that's beautiful today. Well done, everybody. That was great. So good. And I hope online that you're able to acknowledge that Ori and the team, they're beautiful. We love beautiful things, but God calls us to live beautiful lives. Have you ever wondered what is a beautiful life? I think we like to think we know what beautiful lives are. We usually think other people's lives are more beautiful than our own because the cars they drive are nicer. The house they have is bigger. Their kids seem more better behaved than our kids. That's a grief of my own at the moment. But there's this, there's this moment where we've got to come when Jesus says to us, live beautiful lives that other people may look at you and see me. What does that mean? I was with my son, Archer, down in Melbourne earlier this year and we were staying in a hotel in May. So it was freezing, but it had a heated pool indoor heated pool. So we had the best time. It was like half the day we were fighting aliens, fending off pirates, you know, saving the world together. But when, if you've got children, you'd know when you get tired, you got to think of how can we rest and play at the same time. It's like, hey, Archer, do you want to go into the spa? It's really warm. He's like, yeah, let's do that. So I went into the spa, turned the heat jets on. I had to work out a way to stop him from putting his head underwater and from jumping in. So I chose to teach him what relaxing looks like. I said, ah, so when you're in a spa, you put your, your arms out like this. He put his arms out. I said, you put your head back like this. He put his head back, this little like two and a half year old, three and a half year old. And I said, and then you just go, ah, this is the life. And there's this little three and a half year old in the spa. I go, ah, this is the life. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. And we just kept saying that for 10 minutes. So I could say, and ah, this is the life. He thought it was the funnest thing ever. But what am I teaching him? This is a beautiful life. Here we are in comfort. Here we are relaxing. Here we are with life feels good. But is that what Peter's talking about? Is Peter talking about today that if you're walking through suffering or pain or difficulty, that your life isn't beautiful? Is Peter talking about that if your life doesn't look Instagrammable, doesn't look nice, doesn't look good, that it isn't beautiful? What does he mean by beautiful? And we talked a little about this last week. What Peter's actually saying is that live such a beautiful life that it blesses the world around you that they would see God and glorify Him. Peter, like a great teacher, in verse 13, what he's doing is he starts by saying, hey, in society, live good lives, live beautiful lives. Then he takes the teaching and he applies it to three different spheres. He starts with the government, live a beautiful life, be a beautiful citizen. Then He moves and He talks about slaves and He says, suffer beautifully. Then He turns to the household. He says, be a beautiful spouse. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna move through this really fast and work through, okay, how can we learn from what Peter is saying to the church 2,000 years ago, what it means to the church today to live beautiful lives. And frankly, friends, the three things I believe we're gonna get is simply that, that we're called to be beautiful citizens, beautiful sufferers, and we are called to be beautiful spouses. And I, don't, I think everyone in this room today and online is going to hear the word of God speak to them about how and challenges how we can live a life that others see and glorify God. He begins, verse 13. What does he say? He says, "Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish who do wrong and to commend those who do right." Now we hear Peter write this, and he's pretty much saying, "Submit to the authority in your world." The authority in our world would be the governments of our day, both federal, state and local, all the authorities in our natural order. And now in Australia, a nation that descended from convicts, submitting to authority is like, you know, asking us to do high jump blindfold. It's not something that we are keen to do, know how to do, or necessarily something that's celebrated in our culture. We love to be critical of our government more than we love to submit to it. You're telling me, Peter, that after everything we've heard about Albanese and Qantas this week, we're meant to submit to him. Well, let me tell you one thing, Peter, I've seen a thing or two and I'm not keen on that. But friends, it was the same with Scott Morrison. There wasn't one party that we've never not critiqued. And 2020, when COVID hit, it saw this sense even grow exponentially. We we grew in our mistrust of the government. This is not a sermon for those of you wondering about whether we should be vaccinated or not, but just stating a fact that people grew increasingly concerned with the government's power. In fact, over 50% of Australians today don't trust the government. And I actually thought that was a pretty good stat. I'm like, well, the government's doing pretty well. Only 51% of us don't trust them. And the reason that God speaks into this moment, we, we can kind of be aggravated by this, And we can be like, well, you don't know what I endured in lockdown, which is fair. I understand. Lockdown was hard. And ever since then, we've been questioning even more than usual the government. But we've got to also hear the context of who Peter was speaking to. Peter, you don't know what it's like to live in Australia. But he knows what it's like to live in Rome and under Roman rule. See, back then, the church that he's writing to was in Asia Minor, but it was a territory that was ruled by the Roman emperor. And the Roman emperor at that time was a man named Nero. Seems like a nice name, but not a nice guy. Nero was known as the Mad Emperor. His mother had his father and brother killed so that he could actually ascend to the throne as emperor. He then had his mother killed, who he then forced his own supervisor, his mentor and his coach to take his own life so that he could rule Rome the way he wanted to. And friends, whilst that seems very days of our lives already, it gets worse. This man, this emperor, once oversaw over half of the Rome, the city of Rome, burned to the ground. 10 out of the 14 precincts burnt to the ground. And in that moment, when everyone looked for someone to blame, he turned around and said, it's that minority group called the Christians to blame. And most historians believe it was actually Nero who set the fire. Why? Because he wanted to build a bigger palace. But by blaming the Christians, he had a scapegoat, but he also had entertainment. Because what he would do is he would actually take the Christians and, and, it's, and our sources tell us that at his dinner parties and garden parties, he would crucify them and dip them in oil and set them on fire as the torches to light his party. Tastes a little different, doesn't it? Submit to your authorities. Lockdown's okay. There's this sense where Peter is writing to a church That knows what it means to be afraid for your life, but they're powerless. They're a minority. What are they to do? Well, they could be anarchists, they could rebel and violently revolt against, but that's not the way of Christ. And so this church at Asia Minor, away from Rome, not directly under Nero's rule, they were under the men appointed by Nero, the governors and the local officials who permitted the persecution and oppression of Christians. And then Peter writes them and says, submit to the local authorities. Why? He says these things because simply he's wanting to challenge them to live in the way of Christ and acknowledge three things. That throughout history, all Christians have known one thing to be true, that Jesus is King. Jesus is King. And that when we become Christian, we join His kingdom and we become aware that we are now living in a world, not our own, a land where we are foreigners and exiles. Where do we find this? We find this in, one, in Peter uh, 2, verse 13, where he says, submit to the, to the government, to the authorities of your time for the Lord's sake. We do it for Christ. In Romans 13, verse one, Paul even writes this. He says... "Which." Uh, he says, This let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. There's a comfort here. God, in his sovereignty, has overseen, has overseen the rise and fall of many empires, and yet his reign and rule has never been challenged. The Jewish people were quite willing and able to accept the sovereignty of God that when Babylon invaded Jerusalem and Israel, They were able to go, we don't understand this evil, but we know that our God is still sovereign and we trust Him in this moment. When Babylon fell and the Romans invaded and took over Jerusalem and Israel, they said, you know, we don't understand, but we we will trust the sovereignty of God. And here Peter says again, hey, if you believe Jesus is King, then your King is saying this, live in such a way that no matter how evil they are and no matter what they accuse you of, may they see your good works and may they glorify your Father in heaven. This is not easy teaching. It's a challenge. Peter doesn't just say we do it because Jesus is King. We do it because even though Caesar may be the local authority, we know who's already won. And the temporary evil will never be able to overcome the eternal glory and power of the coming Kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we do it. Why do we submit to local authorities? Are they always right? No, we do it because we believe in the common good of all people. That we, when we live in the city of the Gold Coast, we we submit because we want to see the Gold Coast flourish and thrive. And so we, we recognise God has appointed authorities that may or may not be Christian for this time to keep local order and local good. And so it boils down to this, friends, really simply. There is nothing Christian about speeding. Now, I know... Some of you didn't come to church thinking you're going to get a sermon about speeding. And for someone who has a speeding fine on their counter at home, I'm speaking to the people right now down the front who need to hear it. But when we speed, we're rebelling. And what are we saying? My authority over the local authority. And we're not actually walking in the way of Christ. There is no social local good that comes out of people who break the law when there is no moral reason to do so. We do this because Jesus is King, because we believe in the local common good, because we wanna be a people that it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city you're in. They were in the city of Babylon, the epicentre of pagan evil in ancient, in ancient Middle East. And still the prophet Jeremiah, by the words of God said, seek its peace and prosperity. Why? Because when we seek to bless the city of the Gold Coast, even though it may not line up with our morals, our values, or be a Christian ruler. And for the moment, we have a Gold Coast mayor that does believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but that won't always be the case. When we do these things, people look at us and go, how come you're not being rebellious, anarchist? Why are you not leading revolutions? It's because we can go, we want this city to flourish because we are a people of God. Do you know Jesus? Friends, how is your life blessing the world around you? How's the way you are living blessing the city around you? We are called to be beautiful citizens that seek the good of those around us. But there's a caveat here. Because Jesus is King, we are not called to ever follow the rules of man that make us disobey the rules of God. We see this in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Three advisors to the king. They did a great job. They were well respected. But as soon as the the king said, you will bow down to my idols and worship me, they refused to do so. They didn't do it violently. They didn't do it disrespectfully. They just said, we cannot do it. They did it with non-violent, peaceful protest. And because of their objection to the rules of man that, that actually went against the rules of God, they transformed an empire. We see this in William Wilberforce, who was an English politician, who believed that the slavery was so wrong that he refused to take part in it. But instead of just refusing to take part in it, he tried to lead his nation to abolish it together. And the abolitionist movement, movement of the 1800s saw slavery vanquished, not because everyone thought it was evil, but because a law needed to be changed through the proceedings of legality that had been instituted on that day. These are men and women of God who rose up and said, we will be a blessing to our country and where we can, we will advocate for justice. How are you a blessing to the city of the Gold Coast? How are you a blessing in the world around us? This is a challenge to us today, friends, that we might not live rebellious lives, but lives that point to a greater King. Peter goes on and it gets even harder. He says, slaves, slaves in verse 18. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So he starts and he says, let's be beautiful citizens. Why? Because we're part of a beautiful kingdom. And he moves on and then goes, now, slaves. Now, when I hear this word, I get affronted. As a historian, I'm reminded of the slave trade in the 15, 16, 1700s. But this was a slave trade in 15, 16, 1700s that was about racism where uh, European colonies went into the African colonies and actually took people away because they saw them as less. The slaves that, that Peter is talking to was a very different world. In fact, slavery back in the ancient East was uh, a place of sometimes where slaves were more educated than their masters. Some people actually willingly sold themselves into slavery for economic and financial gain or even social gain because eventually they would be be able to get freed from slavery through working enough. They could save and earn money. And so it's important that we don't think that Peter is condoning what we know slavery to be. But it's also important to recognise Peter's not condoning slavery at all. Peter didn't write the rules of Rome. But what had happened is that slaves were coming to know Jesus and they were asking the question, how do we live faithful to Christ in a pagan household that doesn't believe any of this stuff? And Peter's like, yeah, good question. Let me tell you what this looks like. And we can, we can get offended about that. But friends, I think some of us can also relate to it. How many of us are Christians who are working in non-Christian environments? How many of us feel like we're slaves? No, just kidding, don't put your hand up. Okay, it's great, Honesty for some people. They're like, yep, in my job right now. Some New Life staff had their hand up. Uh, There's this sense, right, where, where, where we actually can relate. How do we treat bosses and employees and employers who do not have Christian values and we feel at times don't treat us well? Peter writes to us today, not because he can change your employment, but he can encourage the fruit of your heart. And he writes to these slaves and he says, "Submit to those who are over you. Don't be rebellious. Even when they treat you badly. Respond in a way which points to the kingdom." Now, slaves back in that day had no choice. Some of you do have choices. I'm not advocating for not addressing injustices. I'm not advocating don't go to human resources when appropriate. All that stuff is good and appropriate. But there is some of us who are gonna stay in our jobs but are happy to talk badly about our bosses and our employees at the water cooler because we don't like them, but we're also not willing to do anything about it, but we're just gonna join the culture. And Peter says, no, no, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a blessing. You speak a different way. You walk a different truth. You suffer. Differently. In fact, he says, those who are Christians suffer so well, it confuses people. Sam Storms will say it like this. He goes on, he says, When the unbeliever sees the believer persevere under undeserved treatment, he is compelled to ask what kind of God could sustain this depth of devotion. Peter writes to some slaves who do not have good masters, who are struggling who are struggling to work out how do they live in this moment? And he says to them, you're going to suffer and I cannot stop that suffering, but I can teach you how to walk through it in a way which glorifies God. And when we look at that and we get offended by that, we forget who we follow. We do not follow a man who lived a life filled with jacuzzis and Ferraris. We do not follow a saviour who didn't understand the pressure of injustice. In fact, this is what Peter says. Do you want to know where your strength comes to be a beautiful sufferer? It's by knowing the beautiful sufferer. He goes on and in verse 20, he turns around and he starts to say this. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Why? Because, verse 21, to this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Verse 22 says this, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in His mouth. My boss is accusing me of things I didn't do. Jesus gets it. He gets it. I am suffering at the moment in my environment, in my workplace. The one we follow understands what suffering is. Verse 23, it goes on. When they hurled their insults at Jesus, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He entrusted Himself to Him who judges justly. He He Himself bore our sin in His body on the cross that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By His wounds, you are healed. We follow a Savior who doesn't ask us to walk through a darkness he hasn't first trod himself. That's why we gain comfort in verse Psalm 23, where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Because the rod and the stud, the rod and the, the rod and the stud, that's a different translation. The rod and the staff of the one who suffered before me and for me goes ahead of me. Friends, if you are in a moment and you don't know how to keep going, you don't know how to walk forward and there's no choice to, but to embrace the injustice you're experiencing, can I tell you, Jesus understands. He who was perfect took our perfection. He who had no sin took our sin. Why? That He might call you be part of a better and bigger kingdom. Here's not what I'm saying. If you were being treated in a bad way, you should stay in your job. That is not what I'm saying. We have the luxury of not being slaves, friends, and being able to resign and leave. And I'm not asking you to endure injustice, but where we have no power to end the suffering we walk through, may we suffer beautifully in a way which points to the beautiful sufferer, Jesus Himself, and reminds people, this is not our home. We are beautiful citizens. We are beautiful sufferers. And finally, we are beautiful spouses. Now, this is a little bit of a harder text. You're like, wow, I thought those last two were pretty fun. But it starts nice and simple in a way which won't offend anybody. Wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Why don't we just take that at face value and apply that to our lives. Some of you are like, do you know what he did on the way to church this morning? I can't, you know, I'm not hopping in a car where someone's like, submit, you know, that's. Now, when we go to Ephesians chapter five, where it talks about the marriage relationship, there's a really beautiful depth that we need to experience there. Where Ephesians chapter five, verse 21 actually says, submit to each other. Friends, can I just be honest? If you don't like submission, you will not like following Jesus. You will not like following Jesus. I am a Christian today because I've submitted my sin. I've submitted control. I've submitted my life. I have surrendered it all to Him. And so if we have an issue with submitting, we will not thrive in our discipleship. And I talk to men and women. We are all called to submission, all of us. And Ephesians 5, verse 21 says this, submit to each other. So what is this about then? This, friends, is, is about Peter writing to women who were in those days married to non-Christian men. Predominantly, most theologians and commentators would agree with this, that he's not actually trying to establish a universal rule, but he's trying to encourage women like slaves who were caught in an environment where they had no control. If you go to uh, the, the quote by Plutarch on the screen behind me, Plutarch was an ancient Roman historian. And he says this, It is becoming for the wife to worship and know only the gods that her husband believed in. This is an ancient source. When Roman writers and philosophers wrote of women, they didn't write that they had any agency or authority. It was, you do whatever your husband does. But hear what Peter says. Does Peter say, wives, who does your husband worship? Go do that. No. He says, these women who have come to know Jesus, he tells them how they can live in a home where their husband doesn't follow Christ, but in a way which points them to Jesus. In a, in, a, in a society, if you go to the quote by Josephus, it'll be in a couple of slides. Uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, says this The woman says the law. Josephus, Jesus, Josephus was a Jewish non Christian historian. The woman says the law in all things inferior to the man. Let her accordingly be submissive, not for humiliation, but that she may be directed for God gave authority to the man. There was this sense in even Jewish society where women didn't even have any authority at all in their own home. But here's interesting who does Peter first address in his letter, men or women? And we think he's being derogatory, he's elevating. In a society where if anyone was to talk about the role of women in the home, they wouldn't even tell them how to act, they would just tell the husband how they should be treated. He writes directly to women and says, Christianity sees you have agency. Christianity sees you have power. Jesus Christ says you have equal value as men in your home. Let us teach you what it means to live in such a way. This is revolutionary for their time and encourages us in this time that what Christ is establishing, what Peter's establishing is not a hierarchy of the home, but how women can be on mission in a home not receptive to the words of Jesus. And how does he encourage them to do it? Alex, uh, Pastor Alex in Brisbane last week said, This is a great theological reason why the Bible is not for flirting to convert. If you've ever heard that in young adults, it's like, oh yeah, he's not a Christian, but I'm just, you know, I'm hoping I'll bring him to know Jesus by dating him. And like the Bible seems to indicate here that that actually we're not meant to use our our physical or sexual attraction to change someone's heart. What does he say? Don't adorn yourself with jewellery. Don't put on makeup. Don't look beautiful in your clothes. He says this, let it be the purity of your heart. Now, some churches have used this as a justification to tell women to never wear makeup, jewellery or nice things. And that is not what we believe this text is saying for those of you who are wearing jewellery here today. But what Peter is trying to highlight is that godliness, (coughs) the beauty of God at work in you cannot be demonstrated by physical superficial, by physical superficiality. He's saying, your husband, let's even include the men, the people in your life, who don't yet know Jesus, aren't gonna come know Him because you look great on the outside. The people in your life are gonna come know Jesus because they will experience the wealth of your heart and the fruit of your soul. It's not about physical beauty. It's about inner beauty that can only be achieved not by you trying harder, but by you surrendering and submitting more to Christ. That as you do that, this beautiful holiness starts to pour out of you. And a husband who demands you worship these other gods starts to see that no matter the oppression, no matter the hierarchy, you seem to flourish, not not because of Him, but despite Him. And He'll turn and go, I need to know the secret. What is it? And let me introduce you to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And women, this is an encouragement to you to know that the Bible does not see you as inferior to man. In fact, the New Testament trajectory is it continually elevates the position of the woman that Christ sees us as co-equal heirs of the eternal promise that He has won for us. He goes on and even says to the husband later in verse seven, and this is important, I wanna touch on this, husbands in the same way. He doesn't say, hey, husbands, in a different way. He didn't say, hey, husbands, I've got a different thing for you because you're better. So let me tell you, he says, no. Husbands, same way in other translations say, likewise. Likewise, I'm talking to you too. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. This is the controversial part as if nothing else was controversial. (laughs) With respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, some of you are sitting there and be like, call me weak one more time. I just, saw my ba- my, I just saw my baby, I just saw my wife give birth to our third child, you know, 10 pounds, four ounces. There's nothing weak about being a woman. What Peter's talking about here is he's actually talking about the reality of how the genders were viewed back in ancient Rome. He's also talking about the reality of the physical nature. There's no secret that men and women are physically built differently. Now, hands down. There are women in this room. That, should we go to the courtyard right now? You, could, you would dominate me with your physical strength. You'd be able to you know, win an arm wrestle. I am not saying that all women are weaker than all men. But as a general rule, we have two different 100 metre finals in the Olympics because men are built differently and their times are faster and so it would be unfair for them to compete. There's a physical difference. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying, hey, there's a physical uh, difference in strength. There's not a moral inferiority. There's not an intellectual inferiority. There's not a leadership inferiority. There's a physical difference in strength. So what should you do when you realise you have more physical strength than someone else? Do you demean them? Do you help, you know, offer them you know, assistance to you know, belittle them? Do you oppress them? No, no, what does he say? It says, treat them with respect. Other translations say, honour them. Who else did he call us to honour? The emperor. Hold them up value them as Christ values them. Which means that if if a man in a marriage is ever oppressing, demeaning, belittling his wife, he's walking in sin. And I'm gonna tell you right now, there's nothing in this text that justifies, nothing that justifies someone staying in a marriage where someone feels unsafe. Someone was like, oh, so Michael, like, I don't, you know, there's stuff going on in my marriage or something happened in my marriage and I left my husband or I left my wife because it was abusive and there was harm taking place. Does this God telling me I shouldn't have done that? No, unequivocally no. These women back in ancient Rome had no choice. We do have choice and we as a church will support you and walk with you and your partner to provide safety as you see fit. Please hear me. This is not an excuse or approval of people being treated ways that Christ would not approve. But what Peter is writing here is he's saying, but there is a way for those of us who are in safety, who are living in a a loving marriage, that we can live that points our partner back to Jesus. It comes from in here, the inner beauty of the soul. Both women and men need to ask, would my partner, would those most intimate and close to me Know the character of Jesus by the way that I live. Women and men flourished because of Christ. Women and men had opportunity. Women and men were the people who Christ called to go and make disciples. And what does the last verse say? It is women and men who are co heirs. When we get to heaven, there's not one line for men and one line for women, and we have an arm wrestle to see who gets in first we are co-heirs in the kingdom of God which Jesus sees us as different but equal. Friends, the heart of what Peter's writing here is he's not trying to offend, he's trying to encourage. Be a beautiful citizen. Be a beautiful sufferer. Be a beautiful spouse. If you don't yet have a spouse, be a beautiful family member. Be a beautiful friend. Be a beautiful person. And and, and if you're struggling with those things, where does he tell us to look? If you're struggling to love your husband or your wife, if you're struggling to obey the government, if you're struggling to suffer well, what does he tell us to do? Well, suck it up, princess. Let's just try our best. Now that leads to constipated Christianity, not godly Christianity. He tells us to look to Jesus. Not go home and be like, try harder, try harder, try harder. Look to Christ. Because in Christ we see the beautiful submission of Jesus who submitted to the Father, who submitted to even the rulers of His day, who submitted His life to take on your sin, to be, to be torn for our transgressions, to be beaten for our sins, to be in our place, suffer unjustly. Why? That we might know not only is He beautiful, but He's called you to be beautiful as well, that this world might be blessed and we might glorify God together. Do you know Jesus, friends? Do you know Christ? Sometimes we've got to stop looking at all the faults around us and start saying, Jesus, start with me. To start with me, I need to look at you and change my heart, transform my soul that I might be a witness to the beauty of the kingdom of God. Friends, this week, we are called to be beautiful citizens, beautiful sufferers and beautiful partners
0: thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.